Hello and welcome to Women of Silicon Valley, the podcast. Today, I am joined by Raquel Small. Raquel, the head of community for Women of Silicon Valley, is a paralegal at Google on the litigation team. Originally from the New York City area, she is the child of a proud Jamaican mother and a Panamanian father, and she believes empowering women and people of color is the only way to make society better. Raquel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today to be interviewed, especially since being a new mom is probably keeping you very busy right now. Hello, Kendrick. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to do so. Uh, so let's start out with the question of what is Women of Silicon Valley to you? Um, it's kind of funny that my title is the head of community because for me, this is all about community. Um, I've been very blessed to work with a lot of women in my career up until this point, but um, I really love what I see and hear from the the community at large of women of Silicon Valley. I've gotten so much positive feedback um, that's helped people that help people stay in tech, get into tech, or not feel so alone in tech um, because it can be very isolating. And I like feeling that um, we're giving a voice to people who maybe don't have voices and also to share stories that aren't um, a completely linear path to success that um, I think is what we see in a lot of representation. There's a million ways to get to the top. And I like being able to share how a lot of different people achieve that. And also our team is just awesome and hilarious. And I love spending time with you guys. So, Do you have a favorite compilation or event that Women of Silicon Valley has done? Um, I mean, for me, I'm really loving the Caribbean, the women in Caribbean, the Caribbean women in tech, um, one that we're doing right now, um, just because I am a child of the Caribbean. Um, so I love seeing my people getting represented, especially in the Bay Area. It's not a very large population here. So it's fun um, to kind of see women. I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. There's like <laughs> there's a Jamaican person. There's a Trinidadian person. Look at that. Um, but I also really remember the Mother's Day ones being very impactful for me. And that was even before I had a kid um, because relationships with mothers can be completely wonderful, but also can be completely complicated and shape a lot of people's lives in different ways. And it was really interesting to see how um, people's lives, like even in their careers were shaped by their relationships with their mothers um, and the ways that people had to overcome things or um, had to kind of deal with things that put them in positions they had to like overcome you know, a difficult thing in their life. So I, I really, I loved those. And that really beautifully ties into the next question. Uh, has being a new mom taught you anything or made you think differently about the lessons of independence you learned from your own mother? Um, I just want to say mothers <laughs> have the hardest job in the world. I I've heard that before. And I, you know, kind of like was like eye rolling a little bit at it just because I didn't have like firsthand knowledge of it. And it's kind of hard to put yourself in that position until you've actually had a kid, but holy crap, like mothers really do the most, <laughs> like just going through this whole thing of, you know, carrying this child and 
for nine months and seeing the ways that my body change and has still changed and will probably will continue to change. Um, and then also now being completely a hundred percent responsible for it. I really, really value the uh, example that my own mother set for me. She is a first generation immigrant from Jamaica and she moved here when she was 12, pretty much alone to live with her aunt and her uncle. And she's worked at the UN for over 30 years and is actually the longest uh, tenured person at the UN ever. Um, and she's, she never graduated from college, but still has managed to make this wonderful career has traveled the world. Um, she was, she did uh, hurricane relief work in the Philippines for like six months. And then she also lived in Zambia for three months for a while. She's really a phenomenal woman. Um, and she's hated just not be scared of the world and to meet the world with open arms. And she's also made sure that I've had every opportunity um, that I could, even at the expense of sometimes her own opportunities. And I really am thankful for that. And I hope to give my own child that same sense of security and that she can do whatever she wants to do, no matter what. Um, and so I hope that she will be a successful person. But even if she's not, I'll love her anyway. <laughs> That's such an incredible story of so much strength and resilience and dedication. Is there something that you wish you had known before becoming a mother, a piece of advice that you wish you had been told? Um, breastfeeding is really hard. <laughs> Nobody really told me that. And like the postpartum period, I think everyone prepares you for pregnancy and everyone really celebrates you during pregnancy. But the postpartum period is like it's like a bomb exploding life that nobody can prepare you for. I mean, I just, it was something that we talked about a little bit more in society. Like plenty of people were like, Oh, the fourth trimester sleep when you can, but it's so much more than just sleep. It's like a complete mental shift that you need to make. Um, and oftentimes you're doing it alone. And I'm, my husband and I are basically doing it alone um, because of COVID. And so it's been a lot of like patience and, understanding and patience with myself, even and having to not get frustrated if she's crying or screaming or the day before she was great and went down for every nap with no problem. And today, for whatever reason, she's decided that that's that yesterday was old news and I don't want to sleep anymore. Um, and I wish that, you know, that there was more conversation about the fact that you're just gonna have to completely alter your life. But part of me is actually kind of happy that COVID is happening during this time, because I think it would be really mentally challenging for me to see everyone else out doing stuff and me being stuck in the house with a newborn, but no one else is doing anything either. So aha, at least I've got something to keep me busy. <laughs> so it's almost like you're having to kind of mentally pivot every single day to address those changes. And probably at the same time having to mentally pivot as as the realities of the world shift so constantly is it easier to be having to make two kinds of mental shifts every day or does that just compound the the <laughs> the mental burden of that yeah, I think you said it perfectly. I, I keep saying to my husband, I feel like this whole thing has been like a puzzle where the pieces change every day. Um, but I think I think that it's probably a little easier for me to kind of deal with this than other people because I actually did, you know, I was on maternity leave only for technically only two days, but for about a week and a half um, before I went into labor. And so I was already really bored with like quarantine and I had been kind of quarantining anyway um, for 
like two weeks before that. So I was kind of reading a limit anyway with the world and what this new reality was. So at least with the baby, like you said, I'm constantly having to pivot anyway. So all the kind of outside stuff is unfortunate, but I'm already like adjusting to my new reality every single day, even every single minute. Um, So it's not so terrible. I feel weirdly blessed that at least I have this kind of tiny little human screaming in my face to keep my head above water. That's, that's a really good way to view that. And also thank you for normalizing the conversation around postpartum and handling with handling that mental shift, because there are so many areas of all of these different processes we go through at different times in our life or different people go through. And essentially the goal should be to just talk about and normalize every unique experience that someone has. So I appreciate that a lot from you. Absolutely. Uh, There's another area which ties into one of our Instagram submitted questions about normalizing the discussion around being in tech, but not being in one of the conventional engineering roles, which is something you have a lot of experience in. So I would love if you could discuss a little bit what it's been like working in the tech world, but not in an engineering role. Yeah. So when I first uh, started working in tech, um, my goal was actually to go to law school and be a lawyer. Um, And I specifically wanted to work on cyber law. And I found Um, all the areas surrounding high-tech law, very interesting Um, through a variety of reasons. I did not end up going to law school, mostly because I realized I didn't really want to, and it seemed like not the right path for me. Um, But my interest in tech remained. And I think that as long as you are interested in technology and have like an eye towards that, that you can work in this field, no problem. Um, I work with plenty of people who never saw themselves kind of going down this path, um, but they love it. They've worked at you know, Google and Apple and whatever for 10 plus years, 12 years. Um, and I think the common theme I see amongst um, these people are that they have a variety of interests and are well-rounded. Like tech is their, obviously their main focus, but they are like world, you know, champion cyclists and um, really amazing bakers and or have like a big nonprofit focus or have like an issue that's really near and dear to their heart that they put a lot of time and effort into. Um, and so I think if you continue to have like well-rounded interests uh, that can kind of augment your interest in tech, that's what companies want to see. Um, and I think working in the legal field, I've been really lucky, like I said before, to have a lot of women to kind of go off of and I mentioned before how strong I think mothers are, but having that kind of like working with women who are juggling a million different things, being a mother is the same kind of way, the same kind of thing where you have to just continue to juggle everything and do a million things at once and wear a bunch of hats, but that makes you a more well-rounded individual. So, yeah. When finding your own group and mentors, you can bounce ideas off of, how have you gone about that? That's a common question that we we get a lot from our audiences, how to build that network and how to find those connections. Yeah, for me, I think the best mentors I've had are people that I see as friends first. I've, I've found the relationships where I'm like, I need you to mentor me have been a 
kind of awkward <laughs> um, and they don't last very long because just there's only so much like mentoring that can happen. Um, you need kind of like a friendship to be able to speak on for extended periods of time um, and kind of have that balance. So I think find people that you just vibe with. Number one is, is the, the most important thing that you can do is find somebody that you find inspiring and try hope that you guys vibe. And if you don't, that's not the end of the world. I had a couple of mentoring relationships that didn't really work out. I did a, a program at Google where they just kind of matched me with a random person. And it was, it was a man, he was, he was very nice and we got along very well, but um, he had a very like specific view about what mentorship looked like. And it wasn't really the type of mentorship that I was looking for. I didn't really have like a clear path. I just wanted somebody to help me like deal with what I was dealing with on the day to day, maybe not necessarily on a long-term scale, but he was more looking for like that long-term kind of vision planning, which I understand some people are really looking for that. It wasn't for me, um, but that didn't work out for me. And, you know, he's, he's great, but it just doesn't, doesn't always work. So don't like take it out as a failure on yourself. If a mentor's situation doesn't work, because sometimes just, you don't have to get along with everybody and you don't have to have that relationship with everybody. I think. It's just like any kind of relationship. If it doesn't work, then it's not on you. It's not on them. It's just not the match. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to pivot a little bit over to the rapid fire Q&A section, uh, which I always say you don't have to do super quick responses, but we'll, we'll dive right into these. So the first one is what app do you use the most? Um, if you'd asked me like two months ago, I would have said Instagram, but now it's Reddit weirdly. <laughs> I'm super into Reddit. My, I've got like a million subreddits. I'm really active in the April, 2020 moms group. Um, <laughs> the women and I have gotten really close in there, even though I don't know like any of their names or anything, but I know their babies. I know whether they slept last night. I know whether they had a C-section, um, how their C-section recovery is going. Um, it's also really nice having a group of women that I can talk to um, about the daily realities of having an, a baby when you know people check in on you they want to know like how are you doing which is a totally valid question and that's a question I would ask before but I want to like what I really want to know is like how many diapers did your baby have last night um, did your husband finally help you like you know sweep under the bed be or like did he buy you more birth costs or how do you like a dock -a tot you know that sort of stuff really does matter and that's like relevant to me so I love I love my reddit ladies <laughs> I remember you had mentioned that back when we had the team planning in February and I never would have thought of reddit as a place to to find such a a large tight-knit community but I'm really glad that it exists because it's such a specific experience that someone goes through and probably you're not going through a pregnancy as, at the same time as your friends who live near you or even friends across country. And so I was I was really happy to hear that such a specific group existed. We're small but mighty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next question is, what is something small you do either every day, week or month that makes you feel more upbeat or inspired? Um. It's a weird time. It's hard to find those things. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, it might sound really simple, but 
playing with my cat. <laughs> like that sounds crazy, but my baby is so like up and down, you know, obviously she's really cute and she's really sweet a lot of the time, but she's still a baby. Like she has cranky periods. She has angry periods, but I really, really appreciate my cat all of a sudden because she just really loves me. She's quiet. She sleeps next to me in the bed. <laughs> she's like snuggly and she doesn't require much of me. Uh, all I have to do is feed her and change her litter box. And she's pretty content. She wants some head scratches and um, she makes me feel really happy. She has no idea what's going on with anything in the world at all either. So it's nice to just have this completely neutral party. Um, that's super, super cute. <laughs> the little things can really make a significant difference right now. So I'm glad that you have that, the cat around. What's, what's the cat's name? Foxy Cleopatra. <laughs> That makes it so much better. <laughs> uh, next question is, since I know that you've done some impressive baking, what is your favorite pastry to make? Oh, man. I haven't done like official like French fancy pastry really, but I really just love making cookies. I could just like make straight up chocolate chip. I like to make like weirdly complicated things that don't go together, like white chocolate and blueberry and, and weird stuff like that. Um, I've also like kind of gone down this weird path of like savory cookies, like with bacon in them, which sounds really weird, but it works really well. So if you ever want to try like a chocolate chip bacon cookie, I'll make that for you. <laughs> um, and I also, I'm, I've been trying to find the time in between when my baby is napping to make Nutella banana bread because I want to get on the banana bread train. Everyone else is making banana bread. And honestly, I'm not going to lie. Their banana bread looks like pretty trash a lot of the time. <laughs> so I want to make some like really good banana bread, but it's hard because my husband keeps eating all the bananas. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you have to stockpile some of them. Exactly. So would you put like chocolate chips in the banana bread or yeah, I, would just, I think it would be like a Nutella swirl situation. Probably maybe some chocolate chips. I haven't really thought about that, but definitely like a Nutella swirl, which is when you just pour in the banana bread batter and then you just take Nutella and splather it on the top. And then you take a knife and just kind of draw a pattern, the knife with Nutella kind of dragging it through the batter. That's really nice. good. That sounds a lot better than any healthy banana bread recipe. Oh, yeah. I think if if you're going to do it, you have to go all in on it. That's kind of my philosophy. I went through a period where I was cooking or, and baking very healthily, and I thought I was just not a very good cook, but it's because I wasn't using butter. <laughs> and then I realized that butter makes everything better, and that if you're going to eat, at least have it be delicious. Yes, completely agree. <laughs> uh, and then the last question is, since we live in such a tech-focused space. What is your favorite analog activity? Um, I guess baking is sort of analog, um, but also I crochet. Um, it's really calming, and it's not something that once you get the muscle memory going, um, you could just find yourself making a whole blanket. And if you're making a blanket, it actually becomes a blanket that you can wear while you're working on it. So there's that added benefit. Um, I'm trying, I'm not very good, but I do enjoy doing it, but I have a little bit of carpal tunnel. So I'm like a grandma out here, not crocheting nearly as much because of my poor wrists, <laughs> but I do love it. What does someone need if they want to pick up crocheting as a, as a new hobby? What are, 
Um, you just need a good set of hooks. I like metal hooks. Some people really prefer the wooden ones. I don't think I've ever even used a wooden one, but I like metal hooks um, and just, you know, a willingness to have it be ugly. <laughs> it's going to be ugly. There's no doubt about it. One of the hardest things to get right is the tension that you need to pull on um, to get a nice even pattern. You need to have that tension consistently. Otherwise, it's going to look really crazy. The first blanket I ever made, um, the first half is really unusable almost because it's really stretched out. And then I figured out how to get the tension right. Um, but you some you can make a blanket using only one stitch. Don't get all like in your head about, you know, people are out here making sweaters with all different patterns and stuff. I don't know how to do any of that, but I really enjoy it. So whatever. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't have to have a specific accomplishment associated with it. That sounds like an appealing hobby to potentially take up right now. <laughs> Yes. And you can do while you do other things too. Like if you want to have, you know, Netflix on in the background, it's perfect. You look down and all of a sudden you have a scarf. <laughs> that doesn't sound too bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, Raquel, thank you so much for making the time to be interviewed. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kendrick. Uh, and thank you to everyone listening to this episode of Women of Silicon Valley, the podcast. We will be back next week with Elizabeth Smith, our Europe lead. So in the meantime, please rate, review, subscribe, and we will chat with you next Wednesday.